0: Uh, Our reading today comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. If you're in need of a Bible this morning, you can look to the aisles. Our ushers have those available for you today. And if you do not own a Bible at home, you can take one of those with you. It's our gift to you. If you have one of those Bibles that were just handed out, we're on page 918. You can go ahead and follow along as I read. Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called Father God, we give thanks this morning and this ability to to gather in the place uh, that we're here this morning. Just ask that you be with Pastor Mike as he preaches uh, from this passage. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, you can have a seat. Uh, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. My name is Mike Lee, and I get to be the pastor here at Mission Valley Church. Uh, If you're new here today, if today's your first time, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, And if we don't know each other, I would sure love to connect with you. And so there's a couple ways we can do that. Um, If you've never met me before, I'm going to be out in the courtyard after church, love to shake your hands, fist bump, whatever you're into. Uh, another way that we can connect is if you'll just fill out one of those connect cards, and McKenna will talk to us more about that at the end of service. And then finally, uh, if you ever need anything from me, if you want to talk to me, if you need prayer, if you need help, uh, text me, 602-763-3331. Uh, love to connect with you that way. So you've joined us today. for the. If, if you're new here, it's a great Sunday to be here for, for the first time. It's always a good time to be here uh, for your first time, but it, we're in the beginning of a series that we're going to call Practical Christianity. This is a. This start of a brand new series. We're, we're really just walking through this letter called Ephesians. We're, we're, we're walking through this letter that Paul wrote to this church at Ephesus, uh, and, and so this part of the letter we thought sounded a lot like practical Christianity, but let's just back up and remember what we've heard so far as we've looked at this letter. So far, we've seen that God has power to do all things and a purpose for everything he does, and so we started in Ephesians in a series that we called Ephesians, Purpose and Power, where we literally saw that God has all the power in the universe and with that power he does whatever he wants to do and has purpose for everything that he has created including us as, as his masterpiece. And one of the purposes that God has is for his kingdom to come. And so then we looked at the next series. Uh, We just looked at this series, and it was called Kingdom Come. And we were reminded that because of Jesus, because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we have hope that God's kingdom will come. We are not a people that says, I sure hope everything works out and God's kingdom comes one day. We are people that say, I know God's kingdom is coming, and so that is my hope. That is where I place my hope. And while we wait for that to happen, while we wait for God's kingdom to come, we see that God is reconciling individuals to Himself. He's bringing individuals in close to Him. God is also recon- reconciling groups of people to Himself. People that were outside of the family and people that were inside of the family have been brought together into His family, and God is bringing them together in the church. That's what He's doing. That's, that's where He's waiting for. Them. That's where God's people will be when God's kingdom comes. They'll be part of the church. And so now Paul's going to shift his attention to talking to these individuals who have been reconciled, these people who were far from Jesus but have been brought in, these people who are waiting for kingdom come as part of the church, and he's talking to them in a very specific way. He's going to start just honing in and just talking to them specifically. He's talking to them in a manner that we call discipleship. There's a, there's a thing that happens in a church and it's called discipleship. And discipling people is what happens when we are helping people uh when when we when we're helping people through the reading of God's word and through living on mission for Jesus, where people are becoming less and less like the world and more and more like Jesus. This is discipling. And so he's going to start having these discipling conversations with the church at Ephesus and also us as a church here. it's very practical stuff. He, he's going to put it right in the living room. This is what it really looks like to walk like Jesus. That's what he's going to do. He's going to teach and lead the church at Ephesus as well as the church at Mission Valley. And so as we go through this letter, we're going to be getting really practical discipling. We're going to hear about specific things to do and specific things not to do. Specific things to do inside of our family and specific things not to do inside of our family. Specific things that we do with individuals and specific things that we ought not to do with individuals. This is a discipling letter. He's going to go through this and do this, give us these specific things. But here's something we need to remember. As we look at this letter, when we look at this portion of the letter that we're calling Practical Christianity, there's something really, really important that we need to remember, and I want to point this out. Paul is not saying, if you will live like this, then God could love you and choose you and save you. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, hey, if you get this right, if you can actually do this stuff I'm going to talk to you about, then God will love you enough and bring you into the family. No, what Paul is saying is that before you did anything, God saw you, God chose you, God loved you, and God saved you. And now that you are part of God's family, this is how we walk. Like, this is how it gets done in God's family. It's really important that we remember that. There's a way to look at this letter and think, if I could just get it right, then God could love me. And it's not true. You'll never fully get it right. And that's okay because you have the grace of Jesus to cover all of that. What Paul is saying is, because this has happened, this now is how you walk. And so if you've ever found yourself wondering, how is it that I'm supposed to live as a Christian? How is it that things are done in God's family of which God has made me a member? This letter will answer a lot of those questions. That's what's going to happen in this letter. For the next five weeks, we're going to get some real practical, this is how it's done so I'm excited to get into this portion of the letter. But first, I just want to just tell you a story to kind of set this up. And, and this isn't a, a pastor story. This one really happened, right? Sometimes pastors, like, we just make up some stories to, to make it you know, just to add a little, just to juice up the sermon a little bit, to use a Janine term. We just, just like, kind of juice it up a little bit. But this is a real story. This really happened. And some of you have heard this before, and it's okay. You'll probably hear it again. I, I hope I get to be your pastor for a lot of times. And I hope you're like, oh, this is that one he's going to talk about his grandpa. That, yeah, that's what's going to happen. This is, like, one of my origin stories. So, I was 17 years old, and I was in Ohio for the summer living with my grandparents. That's where I was at at the time, Uh, 17 years old, I'm I'm living in Ohio with my grandparents with my grandma and my papa. That's what I call him, my papa. James, he's fantastic. I love him. Uh, I got invited by a buddy of mine to go to a party. Uh, it was just a party. We were going to go there on a, on a Saturday night. And so I asked my grandma uh, and grandpa, I said, hey, can I, can I go to this party? And my, my grandma said, of course you can. And Papa said, you can, you can use my truck. And so I was like, well, that's really great. And so on Saturday night, I do what you're doing when you get ready to go to a party. You get dressed. You get ready to go. And I went over to say goodbye to my grandma. I said, hey, Grandma, do you, is there a time you want me to be home? And she goes, no, nah, I'm not really worried about a curfew. You've always been responsible. Just come home safe. That's all I really care about. And I said, OK, thanks. Uh, and then she said, your Papa's outside waiting for you by the truck And as I walked outside, I see Papa, and he's leaning on this truck. And it's an interesting thing because this is an older truck. My grandpa only had three trucks in, in my entire lifetime. And so this is an older truck. It's pretty rusted out. Um, but I can see that he's taken the time to take it and get it washed. It's washed and he's even shined the tires. And it's, it's kind of funny to think about it because it's, it's kind of a rusty old truck, but it's as clean as it can be. And he's there leaning against it. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this must be where I'm going to go get, like he's, I don't know what he's going to, he's got something important to say because he's just, you know how a man, an older man will lean on a truck like that and you could tell something's on his mind. And so I walked up to him and I said, hey, is it still okay if I take the truck? And he said, well, I told you you could, so of course you can. Um, he goes, I just have something I want to tell you first. And so he looked at me right in the eye and he said, Mike, he said, our family's lived in this town for five generations. For five generations we've lived in this town. He said, and in those five generations, our family has a good name. He said, my grandpa passed away and gave, uh, my great-grandma gave me a good name, and he passed it on to to his father who passed it on to me, and I've worked hard to pass it on to you. He said, we're not the richest or the most powerful family in this town, but anyone in this town knows that we have a good name. And then he paused for just a minute, and he looked me dead in the eyes, and I'll never forget the look on his face. He said, I'm asking you not to do anything tonight to hurt our family name. He said, as you go out tonight, I'm just asking you not to do anything tonight that'll hurt our family name. And then he handed me the keys and he walked in the house and I just stood there for a moment feeling the full weight of his statement. As a 17 year old, I almost felt like kind of like wiggly, just like a little jiggly in my knees thinking about the weight of the statement of five generations of men that had done a good job to pass me on a good name. And I thought about what it means to go out tonight and not do anything to kind of mess that up. He didn't need to give me a full list of do's and don'ts for that Saturday night because his one big phrase covered all of it. It made me stop and think about all the things that I'm going to do tonight, and what can I do to make sure that I don't bring anything hard against the name. And to be honest with you, I'm 43 years old, and I can still remember the look in his eyes that night, and i am still, 43 years later, as a 43-year-old man, still trying to live up to what he asked me to do that night. I don't want to do anything to hurt the family name. And I want you to know that the Apostle Paul starts off this section of Ephesians with a phrase that is similar in its weightiness. We've already read it, but let's just hear it again. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This is a huge statement, and I want us to feel the weight of it for a moment. Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus and to the church right here at Mission Valley, He says, I am urging you to walk in a manner worthy of of the calling to which you've been called. This is a huge statement. He says, you have been called out of death into life. You have been called out of separation from God because of sin into his family. Now walk in a manner worthy of that calling. I wonder what the world would be like if every day when Christians woke up in the morning, they thought to themselves, God, help me. Before you get out of bed, before you do anything, before you talk to anybody, before you grab your phone, just say, God, thank you for calling me out of what I was and calling me into your family. Help me to walk today in a manner worthy of your calling. I wonder what would happen if every time we went and got in our car, before we went anywhere, we said, God, thank you for calling me out of what I was into what I am now. To make me part of your family? Help me to walk today in a manner worthy of your calling. I wonder what would happen is if we would, just before we would have any interactions with people, especially people that we know that we struggle with, if we would say, God, thank you for calling me out of what I was into your family. Now help me to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. I wonder what the world would be like if Christians would do that every day. Again, I can't stress this enough. Paul is not saying if you can somehow walk in a worthy manner you'll be called. That's not what he says. He doesn't say if you if you get this right then God might call you into his family. No, Paul is saying God has called you into his family. Now walk according to that calling. It's important And it is this call that forms our big idea today, the big idea of this sermon. If you remember nothing else that I say today, try to hold on to this. Christian, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Recognize that you are walking around as sons and daughters of the one true king. That when people look at you, they are seeing a glimpse of what it is to know Jesus. And so let us walk in a manner worthy of that. If that feels weighty to you, I think it's good that it does. If you feel some of the weight of that, I think it's good that that happens because I think that we're called to walk that way. Now Paul's going to spend the rest of this letter giving us tangible directives about what this means in our personal life, in our relationships, in the way that we interact with all aspects of the world. But I bet if you and I were honest, we could think back over the last week and with relative ease, we could probably identify times when we walked in a manner worthy of our calling and times when we walked in a manner unworthy of our calling. I bet we wouldn't need a long list of what this all means to just have an idea. But you know, there was there was moments this week that I sure wish I could have had back because that was less than Christ-like. And there's other moments this week that, you know what? I really did feel the Holy Spirit moving in me because I was able to walk in a way that I would want people to see. I bet if you and I were honest, we have a pretty good idea of what it means to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And so today we're gonna pull five key ideas out of this scripture that we should remember as we are doing this, and the first is this, Christian, demonstrate Christ-like characteristics. If you're going to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, you should demonstrate Christ-like characteristics, and Paul is going to give us four to start us out with. This is what he says in Ephesians 4 too. he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Uh, he hasn't even, this is still a part of the same complete sentence, walk in a manner worthy of your calling like this. With humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. This is part of what it means to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, that you would demonstrate Christ-like characteristics. There is a way to walk like Jesus that is certainly no less than humble and gentle and patient and loving. Church, these are the characteristics that should define us. This is how people should see us as we walk out in the world, that we would be humble, that we would be humble. We should have no choice but to be humble as those who have been chosen, loved, and saved by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We, of all people, know that we do not deserve this. We, of all people, know what an amazing gift was done for us, what an amazing thing that Jesus did for us. And so we have no reason to be anything but humble. We have brought nothing to the table but our sin. That is who we are. We're sinners and we show up with our sin. And yet Jesus has saved us anyway. And so we ought to walk in humility. We didn't earn our salvation and we didn't deserve our salvation. It was given to us as a free gift, so there should be no arrogance about us. We shouldn't walk around like, look at me, look how great I am, I'm part of God's family. We should walk around like, I I, I know, me, they even let me in. They, They let you in too. There should be humility. We should be humble. We certainly should be gentle. We should be gentle. We should be gentle people. We should be careful with others and their feelings and with their lives. We should be gentle. If we speak to the married, if I were to just speak to the married men in the room, I would say this for a moment you should be gentle with your wives. Married men in the room, you should just be gentle with your wives. Not because she's not strong enough or tough enough to handle your harshness, but because she should not have to be tough at all in your presence. If I were just to speak to them, if I were just to pull the fellas out of here for a second and say, hey, all the married men, just come let just talk for a second. You know what we should do? We should all be more gentle with our wives. That's what we should do. Penny and I are raising two daughters, and I want them to be strong and resilient women, but the man that asks me to marry one of them will know that they better not need to be strong around him. They better not need to be strong and resilient around that man that says, I want to marry your daughters. That man is going to know that he better be gentle with my daughters. He better be gentle with God's daughters. We are to be gentle. Parents, be gentle with your kids. I heard this week and agree with a phrase that's going around, and the phrase is, is this, it's a, this, this thing is, this person just said that there's a phrase going around that says that kids are resilient and it is a lie. And I got to agree, kids are not all that resilient. I mean, we could say like, hey, kids are resilient. Yeah, in the fact that if they fall down and scrape up their knee, like they'll be fine. They're not going to die from that. But if you are harsh and ungentle with your children, I promise you, you are leaving scars on their lives that they don't get over just so easily. A skinned knee will heal a lot faster than a bruised heart. Parents, we ought to be gentle with our children. Now, this doesn't mean we let them get away with everything. It doesn't mean that we don't correct them and and discipline them. That's discipleship. But we don't need to be harsh with our children. We don't need to yell at our children or scream at our children or say harsh and mean things to our children. We should be gentle with them. Gentle. Gentle is not weakness. It's gentle. We ought to be more gentle. If you look at Jesus' life, he's so gentle with people. He's very gentle with people that, that probably deserved something far worse. You and I probably deserve far worse than Jesus' gentleness towards us. This is a Christ-like characteristic. Church, we should be patient. We should be patient people. Can you just sit there for a second and think about how patient God has been with you? Think about how patient God has been with you over and over and over again as we just go out and time and time and time again... Do what we're not supposed to do. Just continue to sin. Just think about the unbelievable patience that God has with us. And let us be a people who can be patient with others. Think about how patient God is with us. And then stop and think for a second how quickly we lose our patience with the people in our lives. We are not patient people. We have to be patient and bear with one another. And finally, we should be loving Jesus literally said that the world would know that we belong to him by the way that we love others, not the way that we lead others or the way that we use others or the way that we push others or the way that we direct others, the way that we love others. A mark of Christianity, a mark of being part of God's family is to be somebody who is loving. That somebody would look at us and say, I don't know everything about them, but I know that they know Jesus because, boy, they just sure love well. They love people that it would be hard to love. They love them Well. Humility, gentleness, kindness, and love are not some sort of throwaway terms. These are characteristics of Jesus, and these are the characteristics that should describe his followers. Again, it's not if we do these things, God may choose us. It's God has chosen us, and so we are free to do these things. God saved you so you can be humble. You can be humble. God is on his throne so you can be gentle. You don't have to be harsh. You're a son and daughter of the one true king. You can be gentle. You can be patient. You can be loving. Christian, walk with humility, gentleness, patience, and love. The second idea is this. Christians strive for unity. Part of being a Christian, part of living in God's family is to be people who strive for unity. This is what it says, Ephesians 4, 3 through 6, eager Eager to maintain the unity. Eager. Like, you're going out of your way to do that. This is important to you to have unity. It says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, to the one hope. Hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul is encouraging this church to walk in unity. That they would be unified. That that would be a defining uh, characteristic of that church, of of those people, that they would be unified. To remember that since there is one body, spirit, hope, Lord, faith, baptism, God, and Father, that they can walk in unity around that. That they can walk in unity about that, which is truly important. People who have been reconciled by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who are waiting on God's kingdom to come as part of the church, can hold loosely to preferences so that they can hold tightly to what truly matters. Church, in just two weeks, we're going to be doing combined services with Northern Hills Church, a church that we plan to merge with. We're we're going to go and we're we're going to pick up. We're going to go and sit in a different place. You're going to sit in different chairs. And there's going to be some preferences that you might need to let go of, preferences that are of secondary nature that don't matter that much. And if we can hold tightly to what really matters, the preferences won't seem important at all. You should know and be so proud of the work that has been done by the staff and the teams leading both of these churches towards these merger. Week after week, I've watched the elders, the staff, and team leads of both churches hold preferences with open hands so that they can hold tightly to mission. Just a couple minutes ago, I was talking to Ashley Murray. Ashley Murray leads our greeting team here. I mean, that's what she does here. What do you do here? I I lead the greeting team. She leads the greeting team here, and she was telling me that she met the greeting team lead at Northern Hills, and she said, we synced up. We, we get each other. We like each other. We're going to be on the same team. We're going to be on the same page. I bet you that Ashley and Jerry have different ways of doing stuff, and it doesn't matter to them because what they really want to make sure that they do a good job of is welcoming people in, greeting people in to this church. That's what they care about. That's the most important thing. How they do it, how they schedule, do they use CCB or, or Planning Center or text or email? Who cares? They don't care about that. What they care about is doing this together. I've watched all of this happen. It's been fantastic. I've watched Kobe and Donnie, the, the two worship leaders of these two churches, say, hey, we're just going to do this together. What's most important is to do it together. On Wednesday night, Kobe just had all everybody that's part of the worship team of both churches. If you like serve up here, if you play in the band, if you're on the sound team, if you read scripture, like whatever, he invited all those people to come together. And he said, what I want us to be is unified. Like, what we're going to do is we are going to do this together. We're going to hold loosely to all kinds of stuff that doesn't matter that much so that we can hold tightly to what really matters. We'll be unified. That will be a characteristic of God's people. Here's one thing that's true of all people, including Christians. We all have opinions. You've heard a lot of different uh, colloquialisms around this idea. Like, opinions are like fill in the blank. We all have them. Right? We all have opinions. There's a lot of opinions to go around, all sorts of things that those opinions can, can wrap around, uh, opinions that, that don't cease to exist inside the body of the church. We all have opinions. I'm sure that there are songs that you like better than other songs. I'm sure that there are sermon series that you like better than other sermon series. I'm sure that there are different thoughts about what kind of drinks and snacks that we should be serving at the hospitality table. I'm sure that there are a lot of opinions on all sorts of things. Christians are not people without preferences. However, Christians are people who hold preferences with open hands i'm not going to tell you to stop having preferences i'm going to tell you that your preferences don't matter that much they just don't thank you for the yeah christians are people that can walk in unity showing the world that the things that we care most about are kingdom things Here's my favorite question that I've gotten so far about this merge this morning. Somebody just walked up to me, and they said, hey, I'm really excited to, to merge with this church, and I know that we give some money to missions offering. Where do they give money to missions offering to? I just want to make sure that we're going we're gonna to honor each other, like where we're both giving the missions offerings. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's like the most kingdom-minded question ever. That's like been my favorite question so far. This individual was just like, I just want to care that we don't leave anybody out, that we can just continue to bless whoever, like whoever they're blessing, whoever we're blessing, let's just keep blessing all of them. I was like, what a fantastic mission-minded kingdom question. He didn't say, where should I park or where should I sit when I go in there? What kind of music did they have? None of that. He's like, can we just keep giving? Yes. Fantastic question. Love it. Unity. Christian, walk in unity. Now, of course, if you all as Christians are anything like me as a Christian, we're going to screw this up. (laughs) We're going to screw all this stuff up. We are going to forget to be humble We're going to forget to be gentle. We're going to forget to be patient. We're going to forget to be loving. We're going to forget to be unified. From time to time, our preferences are going to rear their ugly heads and come out in ways that we don't like. And here is such good news. Christian, you are covered in grace. Christian, you and I are covered in grace. We will screw this up 18 ways from Sunday, some of us, before we make it out of the parking lot today, and we are covered in grace. This is what it says, Ephesians 4, 7 through 10. But grace was given. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Jesus saved us. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. It was grace. And the grace that saved us is the grace that sustains us no matter how much we mess up. I don't know if you've ever felt like this. Have you ever felt like, I just don't even know if I'm capable of walking in a manner worthy of the calling. I think Paul would say, you're not. Me neither. Keep trying and grace will sustain you. Keep doing it and grace will sustain you when you can't. When we fail to walk in humility, gentleness, patience, and love, when we fail to walk in unity and hold tight to our preferences, grace abounds. There's like this never-ending supply of grace available to you as a Christian. It is not something we're going to run out of. Like, we don't have a strategic, like, amount of it that we have to, like, let go every now and again when the economy goes really bad. Like, when we get, like, really messed up, like, we don't have to be like, hey, can we get a little extra grace down here? Jesus is like, it's just, like, it's all here. Like, you cannot out-sin God's grace. It's just an ever-ending supply, and because of that, here's a really good thing. You can just give it away freely, because grace just keeps flowing from on high, from your Father in heaven. You can just give away grace freely. When other people fail to walk in humility, gentleness, patience, and love, you can extend grace. Do you know that somebody can give you an offense, and you just don't even need to take offense? Do you know that? You can just like give away forgiveness even before somebody asks. If you're waiting around for somebody to walk up and be like, hey, I'm really sorry I was a jerk, you don't even have to wait. You can just throw forgiveness on them anyway. Like, I've just forgiven you. Why didn't you know I screwed up? Don't worry about it. I've forgiven you. All forgiveness is, is canceling a debt. Jesus canceled all of your debts when he got on the cross, died for you, and then defeated death. He canceled all the debt, all of its debt. It's just gone. And you can do the same thing. You can just throw grace around all the time. Just throw it around. When other people to fail to walk in unity, when they hold tight to preferences, you can extend grace. You can be like, oh, wow, this must be really important to you. I'm just going to give you a bunch of grace just take a grace. I forgive you. Don't worry about it. It's fine. You were like, you totally were ununified. It's fine. I've been like that too. I've seen it happen before. You just give it away. When other people offend you on purpose or because of carelessness, you can extend grace. A mark of Christianity is just to be able to just forgive more freely. You have an endless supply of it, so just give it away. If you had an endless supply of money, what would you do with it? You could give it away. You could just give it to people. If you have more than you need, you just give it away. Well, you have way more than you'll ever need, so you can give it away. Give away grace. Christian, you have a never-ending supply of grace, so you can offer it up freely. And as you're doing your best to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, as you are messing up time and time again, and grace is abounding, I also want you to know that you have help. I also want you to know that you have help. And some of that help is found in the church. Christian, you have been given people to help you. Christian, you've been given people to help you. Listen to what it says here. Paul is writing this. He says, And he gave, who? God gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, To the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about at every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. He gave people to equip you for the work of the ministry. This work that you're doing to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, there are people that have been given to you to help you with that. There are people in your life that will help you walk in maturity. Letters like this written by the Apostle Paul will help you. Do you open your Bible and read them? Are you opening up God's Word and reading it and listening to what people like the Apostle Paul are writing to you? Are you only opening your Bible on Sunday morning? If so, you are cheating yourself out of so much more. There's God's word given to you. Read it. Take it into yourself. Believe it. Shepherds like the elders of this church will help you. There are people that care about you. We we did an elder ordination service and we stood up here, my, myself and Andy and Matt, and we said that we would be people that would have to give an account for you. We we take that charge seriously. If you ever want to just, just wonder what we do, we text about this church all the time. Hey, what's going on? What do we need to be aware of? Where are people trying to hurt our people? What's happening? What's happening in these marriages? What's happening in these households? How can we be lifting people up? You have people that care about you, shepherds, elders that care about you, teachers in this church and out of the side of this church are here to help you. They're here to help you. To walk in maturity, to walk in unity. Community group leaders, service team leaders are here to help you, to equip you for the work of the ministry. There is so much help to be had here at the church. Individuals whose name you know and who will know your name that are here to help you. Of course, as Christians, you can make it easier on these people to help you, or you can make it harder. This is one of the things. You, you can make it easier for these people that are here to help you, or you can make it difficult on them. You can make it easier on them by being honest and open with them. You can make it easier by allowing them access to your life to give you the help that you need. You can do that, or you can make it really hard on them by hiding the truth, by not telling them what's really going on, by giving them those answers that when somebody says, like, hey, how are you doing? How's your life? And you say, it's fine. Everything's going good. There's a way to make this harder on your leaders and a way to make it easier on your leaders. But I'm telling you that there are people in this church that care for you, that have been given to you to equip you for the work of the ministry. It never made sense to me why people would want to make it hard for others that are trying to help them. It never made any sense to me. Why would you want to make it difficult for people that are trying to help you? But even when you do, grace abounds. So lean into the people God has given to help you grow. And the fifth thing I want us to see out of this text this morning is this. Christian, you have been given the church to help you. You've been given the church to help you. This is what the text says in Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love the church is made up of so many parts to help you grow and reach maturity in christ jesus the church is god's tool to do many things We looked at this just a a couple of weeks ago. We discussed this idea that the church demonstrates the manifold wisdom of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God. The church is demonstrating to the world and to those in the heavenly realms all of God's wisdom, and it's doing a lot of stuff. The church is glorifying God. The church is where we wait on kingdom to come. The church is who goes, teaches, and baptizes, and the church is here to help those in the body who are maturing to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. That's what the church is here for. It's one of the things that the church does. When people in this church find themselves in trouble, they, as a pastor, I get a front row seat to this. People find themselves in trouble and they come to me and they tell me about the trouble that they're in. When people in this church find themselves in trouble, either emotional or spiritual or financial or physical trouble caused either by their sins or by the sins of others, this is what I remind them of. You have a church. I've said this phrase a lot of times to a lot of people here, you have a church. You don't have to handle this on your own because you have a church. You have a body of believers that is here with you, that'll walk alongside of you, that'll get shoulder to shoulder with you, that'll get on our knees with you, that'll pray with you. You have a church. As a staff, we remind ourselves weekly that we do not want to use people to build this church up. Jesus builds his church. We want to use this church to build people up to care for people, to love people, to chase after the lost, to go after those that are hurting, to bind up those that are struggling. There are so many opportunities to be known and cared for here. There's so many opportunities to be known and cared for. In this church, in this local church, there are community groups and service teams and discipleship opportunities and elders, so many opportunities, and yet some people just come for the sermon. I promise. If the only thing you come here for is the sermon, there are better preachers online. There just are. I, I mean, I'm all right. But there's, you can listen to Tim Keller if you just want to go hear really great sermons. I mean, there's all kinds of. I get you a list of guys that are fantastic. If you're going to come here, take advantage of all the rest of it. There's so much here to offer you. There's so many opportunities here to be known, to be built up, to be cared for, to link arms with other believers. And yet sometimes you just come for the sermons. It'd be like taking a little kid to an amazing buffet. You take this little kid to an amazing buffet, and there's all this really, really great food, and the little kid just goes up and gets a plate full of jello. And you'd be like, What are you doing? If you're just here listening to the sermons, it's like the jello. I mean, there's steak here. There's like crab legs and stuff. I mean, it's good stuff here in community groups and service teams. There's so much here. Christian, you have a church. So, Christian, as you do your best to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, walk like Christ. Walk like Christ. Strive for humility. Accept and give grace. Here's an unknown thing. People just don't, can't, can't grasp this. You will need so much more grace than you ever imagined. And it's okay because you have it in endless supply. And if you're going to hang out with people at all, you're going to have to give away so much more grace than you ever imagined. And that's okay too, because you have it in an endless supply. So allow people to help you, allow the church to help you. That's what it is to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. But what if you're not a Christian? What if you're here today and you're like, I'm I'm not a Christian? You seem to be talking a lot to Christians. Well, if you are not a Christian, if you've come to this place today and you have never believed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, if you're listening to the podcast today and you've never believed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, if you're not a Christian, let me just speak to you for a second. Because I get it, because I wasn't one for 18 years. For 18 years, I wasn't a Christian. But then somebody told me the gospel, and the gospel is simply this. God made the world, and it was perfect. And everything worked exactly like it was supposed to. But then man sinned, and we broke it. We broke the world, and we can see evidence of that brokenness all around us. We see it all over the place. Just watch the news for 10 minutes, and you'll see that the world is broken. Go out and drive for 15 minutes anywhere in this valley, and you'll see brokenness all around you. And the thing that caused that brokenness is sin. Your sin and mine, it has broken the world. And the worst part of sin, the worst part of that brokenness is that it separated God from man. This sin caused this huge chasm between God and man. But God loved us so much that he would not leave us in that separated state. And so he sent Jesus down here on a rescue mission. And while Jesus was here, he lived the perfect life that you and I never could. He died the horrific death that you and I deserved and he defeated that death so that anyone who would believe in him could spend eternity with him. That's the gospel. And if you've never heard that, you've heard it now. And that's all you need to believe in order to become a Christian. And so if you're sitting here today and you say, well, I've, I've never believed that. I, I've never known that. I want you to know this. If you can believe that, if you can believe that, you can know that Jesus has seen you, chosen you, and saved you, because you simply could not believe the Gospel. You just could not believe it if God had not already done a work in your heart. So what should you do if you can believe? We well, should simply admit that you're a sinner and repent. That looks like saying, hey, God, I, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. That's what it is to admit and repent, I, God, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. And then you would need to believe, believe in the life, death, and resurrection, and then confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, because this, the Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So to the Christians and the non-Christians alike, I would ask one question, can you believe? Can you believe? And if you believe, can you walk in a manner worthy of your calling? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul's letter to the church. We thank you for calling us out of what we were and into your family. Lord, we confess that we need so much grace. We need so much forgiveness for the times that we don't walk in a manner worthy of this calling. So thank you for that grace. Lord, help us to walk in a way that would glorify you. And if there's anybody that's in this room today or listening online to this sermon that's never believed in you, God, I ask you to do what only you can do. I ask you to Save them. Give them faith to believe. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.